This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We should think about Adam Gase. God, that's gross. Did you just slip in some Tupac lyrics? I'm sorry. I know that's really corny. It also explains your tweet with the sheep. It hurts me a little bit. You are now locked in to the Clock Dodgers Podcast. Welcome to the Clock Dodgers Podcast. I am your host, Neil. You know I didn't come alone, though. With me, as always, is Adam, who I look at as the James White of the podcast. You know, Mr. High Floor. What's up, Adam? Hey, man. I'm a running back who can catch the football. I love it. Exactly, right? No no complaining here. Now, you know, we can't forget that we also have Josh, who I kind of feel is the Carlos Hyde of the podcast, Adam. What? (laughs) Give me that was disrespectful. <laughs> Listen, man, you're consistent. You're always there. You're not flashy. Oh, but we can we can trust yeah, you. That was, that was a deliberate Duke attack. Never, I never appreciate it. Never, man. You show up and you get the job done, Josh. It's not just us today, guys. As we've done all off season, we have a special guest on today's podcast. He's the author of the analytics of Dynasty books. That's right, he writes. He's an author. It's much more accomplished than us, gentlemen, in that regard. Uh, he also has his own podcast called The Analytics of Dynasty as well. Welcome to the Clock Dodgers podcast, Jordan McNamara. How are you doing today, sir? Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be here. It's a good week, uh, Combine week, and I'm happy to talk some Dynasty with you guys. Absolutely. Uh, Combine's got everybody on Twitter talking. It's got everyone talking. But, you know, this, this is what comes with the territory. It's going to be exciting to see how it all plays out. Right now, all these measurements are dropping, and everyone's going up and down and mood swings about it all. But we'll get into it. We'll get into it a little bit. Um you know, today's episode with you, Jordan, is I feel like it's a little more strategy focused, uh, you know, past episodes and what we've been doing is more player focused. But, we, you know, it's nice to get a little change of pace and kind of, you know, in the offseason, see how you attack things, how you approach things and kind of wrap ourselves up in that a little bit to kind of you know change the pace. It's going to be fun. It's going to be different. Um, what I do like to do, though, for the for the people listening, for the cloud out there that are listening, you know, they already know how me, Josh, Adam, how we attack the game of fantasy, how we approach everything. But just so everyone has some context, how would you describe your approach to, you know, dynasty and fantasy in general, Jordan? That's a great question. I, uh, so I, I was, a have played dynasty for like probably 20, I did the math on this. It's probably close to 25 years now. And, um, and a couple of years ago I decided I was going to get into DFS and I wanted to play some DFS. I played a couple of weeks of it, just didn't feel comfortable with the number side of it. Um, and so I said, all right, well, I'll, do it in the off season. So that off season was going to be like the calendar year 2018. So I did a whole bunch of research in like February and January. 
and I was like just looking for DFS and uh, and just thinking DFS stuff. And as I kept doing the research, uh, it just it kept coming back to Dynasty. And so if I were to like describe my and so and actually all that research ended up being the genesis for the analytics of Dynasty One or the 2019 edition, the 1.0 version of the book. Right. Um, and people have asked me like, do you have a general strategy? And I'm I'm just like I just. Uh, I'm just looking for efficiency. Like, give me the most efficient thing and let's find places where we can find efficiency. Um, I would say generally speaking, I'm a, I, I tend to look at players more uh, at the pattern, at the profile that they represent instead of like the player name. So, you know, for example, like give me, you know, give me successful profiles. Um, and I'm, and I'll look for players that reflect that profile instead of trying to pick individual players that I like or dislike. So that's generally how I play. And, um, I, I look at, you know, trying to build more long-term, um, you know, highly effective strategies along those lines. Gotcha. And are, are you, uh, you know, are you doing all your own work and trusting your work hundred percent? Are you, um, open to the ideas and some other people, or you just kind of, you have a system that you've put a lot of work into and you're just going to like abide by it 100%. I'm totally close minded. No, um, <laughs> I, uh, no, I, I think there's a lot of good work there out in the marketplace. And I, um, you know, one, one place that I really look for like ideas is, is other work. And so, whether it's basketball or like almost non-fantasy football work too, like whether it's basketball or I think there's like a lot of stuff we can glean from the NBA, for example. Um, but no, there's, there's, um, just this week I referenced on my podcast, uh, an article that someone at Rotoviz had written. Um, and it sort of touched on some of the stuff that I talked about in my book, but took a totally different like it came at it from a different, I think we came to the same conclusion, but came at it from a different angle and it was like really interesting. So, and whenever I get those opportunities, I love to highlight them. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I'm looking for any, any idea that works, I'll try. So if I think yeah, there's a chance it'll work, I'll try it. Gotcha. So I'm open to all sorts of ideas. Cool. Yeah. It's important to know that, you know, some people, I don't want to say everyone, I don't want to say some people are closed minded, but there are some people who are, you know, very like, you know, into their thing and that's understandable. You know, they put a lot of work into it, but um, it's good that, you know, to know that you're open-minded toward other people's stuff. Now, you mentioned that you had the 2019 book. You have the 2020 version out now, right? Yep. 2020 version is out now. Okay. And what exactly, you know, if someone's purchasing this or someone's like, hey, this, you know, Jordan guy sounds like he knows his stuff. I should go get this book. What What is it that, you know, they're going to expect to either learn or come away with that they're going to get out of your book? Yeah, so the like the 2019 edition was essentially the, and I, I actually still have it on sale at my at my website analyticsofdynasty.com/shop, and I put it on sale for twenty dollars when I released the 2020 edition. Um, so the 2.0 version of the book, I I did a sale of the 2019 edition. That's more like the overview of Dynasty, um, and I had people of all levels that that bought it. You know, guys that play in hundreds of leagues, guys that were. Um, guys and gals that play in hundreds of leagues or some that just play in one or two, or we're just starting up. So it's a, I think it's applicable to anyone. Um, and I actually think there's non dynasty and non, um, you know, you can use it for redraft and DFS too. Um, I just come from a dynasty background. Um, so yeah, that's more of like an overview, like you give you strategies on drafting and, um, and the whole dynasty experience, gotcha. uh, the 2020 edition actually came, uh, when I wrote the 2019 edition, there wasn't any super flex data. 
Um, and that was the question that everyone asked was, what's it say about Superflex? And I just didn't have Superflex data. There just wasn't any historical data. Fortunately, I got my hands on uh, ADP going back to 2014. So it's not a robust sample, but it's I think it's enough to make some critical uh you know, critical observations in terms of value and, and pacing at the position and those sorts of things. Um, and so I, I wrote a ton on Superflex, about a quarter of my books on Superflex. Um, I also looked at different ideas too. Like um, I I wanted to look at, you know, the progress of players and how they hit. Uh, and so I looked at, I have a lot of base rate chapters, which uh, I have a chapter on base rates, which just analyzes players that haven't hit yet. Uh, and sort of gives you an odds uh, of what they will hit based on their pedigree and their experience in the NFL. And then I do the flip side of that, which is once a player hits, you know, how dense is their hit? So how how deep, you know, how how many hits do they get? How dense is that hit? Um, and so I, that's that's a big chunk of the book. And I also did walk through the 2019 rookie draft because I thought it was a fascinating way to look at drafting rookies because it was a it was a quote down class. Right. Although I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. But I looked at the whole the whole class and, and I went through the whole thing and I identified just key takeaways that we can take towards future drafts. Um, and then I did some work on roster construction. A lot of it, a lot of what I think about is thinking about more efficient roster construction builds. So I looked at I did a lot of simulations and came to, I think, some interesting and contrarian and I think valuable conclusions about about drafting and about the type of uh, position allocation and types of positions you should look for at different points in the draft. So yeah, you can find it all. It's a hundred pages um, wow. on the number, the 2020 edition is. So you can find that at analyticsdynasty.com slash shop. Gotcha. Yeah. It's pretty cool how the 2019 book isn't like an outdated version of something in the new, you know, 2020 is just a new version. So it's actually, they both still have value and they're both still worth getting. That's, that's cool how you're doing that. And it, is that what you plan to keep doing just each year? put out a new book and update strategy and stuff, or is it something that you're just limited to, you know, as far as, you know, less new things come out and new things come out or. I haven't told my wife yet that I'm thinking <laughs> about writing a third edition. So, <laughs> so we'll just keep that among friends. Got no, it's funny. Cause I, when I wrote the 2019 edition, I didn't expect to write a second one. Right. Um, and I just, I didn't, it was going to be an evergreen one-off type deal and I was going to be done. And then, you know, just things kept coming up. Um, I suspect like I left some stuff on the cutting room floor just because I couldn't like fit it in, in terms of how I wanted to build the 2020 edition. So I suspect, um, I haven't started writing anything yet, but I suspect there'll be a 2021 edition. Gotcha. All right. That's cool. That's something to look forward to. And then with your podcast, is that again, is that more like elaborating on the book or is it totally different stuff? Is it more in the moment stuff? Is it more, you know, how, how would you describe that as far as if someone's getting the book, what is the value the podcast is bringing in? What, what are you doing there for people? Yeah, so I, I think the podcast is, um, it's just me. And I jokingly say I don't have any production or anything. I don't I don't have any music. I just talk Dynasty. <laughs> and uh, and it's, uh, I, I take a different, I think it's a little bit different look at things. I don't talk a ton about the book, but I sort of come at it from the basis of the book, I guess. Um and so I just looking at different things with with things that are going on in, in the, um, you know, in the dynasty marketplace. Um, I look at, you know, I try and look at some polls and stuff each week um, and then get just different ideas uh, that are going on. I, I'm trying to do a new series uh, where I look at a different article each week in terms of, you know, that that 
article from Rotoviz that I talked about earlier, like do that each week. Yeah. And just look at different things about what's going on in the news and just try and take a different angle on it. And, and I have a Patreon site, uh, patreon.com slash analytics at dynasty where I do more like book centric work. I would say like, it's more, it's all audio stuff. Most of it's audio stuff, but I have like, I don't have, I don't have, rankings per se because i i think they're tough to they don't exactly convey what i'm trying to convey so i have something i call my dynasty tiers which looks at players and and groupings and looks at players in different in a little bit different of a context to try and identify value in them so you can find all that at, at my patreon site as well gotcha yeah adam jokes here that i'm not much of a reader so maybe you should make it an audiobook too man so I can get in on that action. <laughs> I, I uh, it's funny. People have said that to me. They're like, you should do an audio book. And I, uh, like I, so the actual editing process for the book is me sitting in a room with my editor and <laughs> reading it aloud. And I swear, I, like, it's the worst thing that like, it's, it's horrible. Like it's a horrible, like, and honestly, like the, it's, I mean, I, uh, like I trust him and it's not like he's going to embarrass me or anything, but it is the most humiliating thing to have to read it out loud. Like I'm horrible at reading out loud. So no one wants to listen to me. They were joking that I should get Morgan Freeman to do it, but I think that's outside. That's outside the pairing. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Well, you never know, man, maybe for next year, just an idea, you know, just floating it out there. Um, I, so, so I think, I think, you know, just answering those questions kind of, kind of gives people an idea of, you know, what you're doing, the content you're doing, your, you know, the way you approach this stuff Josh, I know I'm going to let Josh get a little more specific. I think he had a few questions about some of the stuff that you do do um, specifically with the book and the, and the podcast and whatnot. But um, I'll let Josh jump into that and then we'll go into some of the other segments that we do here in the podcast. So, Josh. OK. OK. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was, is your your primary thing is warp, right? Wins over replacement player. Is yeah, that so? Yeah. So I in the when I first wrote the book, I was interested in like there's so many ways that you can look at identifying players and, but I wanted like at one general currency. So like, you know, a, a, a running back 23 finish and a wide receiver 23 finish. Those things are different in terms of how we should think about them yeah. and, and the value of them. So I, yeah, I did create warp and I look at a lot of it through that lens. Like my, a lot of the roster construction, a lot of those things, it is, it is based on warp, which is wins over replacement player. And it just tells you how many, how many wins a player will add over the replacement player during the first uh, 13 weeks through the regular season of fantasy football. And then I have a, uh, I guess a related thing, which is called a warp, which is warp, but factors in the, um, the starter rate of players uh, during the season. And it gives you a little bit more indication of like the true value and how a player is like truly um, helping you uh, during the season. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. So one thing I wanted to ask about warp while we're there is do players maintain a warp over a long period of time or is it just up and down year to year to year? Yeah, I think it's positionally, it's a little bit different. Um, and so like, uh, one thing that I think is, is like pretty interesting in terms of like consistency is I think kind of what you're getting at, um, is, is how consistent players are year to year. Um, and what you'll see is like receivers, for example, like the high end guys, like they'll be consistent year over year. Uh, you know, Mike Evans or like Jarvis Landry, those guys are almost plug and play, like top 24 wide receivers, uh, almost at worst 
at this point in their career. Um, they have been at least. And But you'll see a lot of fluctuation week to week just because inherently the wide receiver position is a highly is highly in flux uh, just because of targets and touchdown rate and all the things that go into scoring. It's just, it's, there's a high amount of volatility week to week. Um, so those guys have a lot of, I would say like they're generally consistent year over year, but you'll see fluc- fluctuation week to week um, running backs. It's you tend to get, you know, like the, the, part of this draft that's really compelling to me is you're going to get guys at like 21 years old that are coming in that are going to be maybe not necessarily round one, you know, maybe you'll get one that'll sneak in around one, but you're going to get, I think multiple cracks in, in round two of the NFL draft at guys that are going to, that, that are going to be 21 year old rookies with really good profiles. And like the warp, the warp implications of those, especially in a rookie draft context is just pretty massive in terms of, uh, what you can do in fantasy. So, yeah, I mean, it, the different positions have different tracks in terms of warp. It, it'll fluctuate year to year, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like there will be different, I guess there's a, I would say there's like a different age curve in terms of how players, you know, decay yeah. or increase or anything like that by position. Okay. That, that's, that makes sense to me. And so you touched on this already, but a base rate is, is that sort of like a player's chance of hitting? It's exactly what it is. And, and it's based on, so I talk in the book about like the, the base rate of a player. And I wanted to know, like in the first book, I looked a lot at like, Hey, you know, wide receiver, like third round wide receiver. Okay. You know, like 23% of the time, I think is what the number is. And so I wanted to know like, all right, well, so that was like the first book that I wrote. And then I, as I sort of got thinking about it more, I said, well, what, as the, as we, a year goes by without them hitting, what's that mean? Uh, or how does their, how does that rate move? Um, and then, you know, two years go by and three years go by. And so you sort of look at those and it, it'll sort of, it'll change. It'll obviously go down. Um, the more time that goes by without you hitting your, your base rate or your hit rate goes down. Uh, and it, but the fascinating part is that, that it's different by position and it's really different by pedigree. So you'll see different positions and, and different, um, and different NFL draft pedigrees will, will change how players perform. Okay. So I got, I got to ask this. If a player goes deep into their career before they finally hit, does that, what's the density of that hit? Usually. Yeah. So the funny part is like, there's not a ton of, like there's not a ton of guys that hit outside of year five. Like Devontae Parker's right. Yeah. So Devontae Parker is a fascinating one. Like Devontae Parker is the first wide receiver. And I went back to 2000. So the first, the first wide receiver this century that was drafted in the first round of the NFL draft that missed the first four years of his career and then hit in year five. It's the first time that's ever happened. Um, you've seen a couple of guys do that in year four. Um, and so you'll see guys that missed the first three years and hit in year four. Those guys were historically Peter Wark and Michael Crabtree. But after year three, first round wide receivers don't hit that often, right? There's been, I think three of them now that have done it. Um, so that's a really, like, that's a pretty cautionary tale about guys like, um, you know, Mike Williams or, um, you know, Corey Davis or, um, like Will Fuller, those types of guys, it's pretty cautionary about, about what their track might be in their career. 
but we don't have a ton of sample and like, you'll see like, there'll be a massive outlier. Like for example, Alex Smith, like hit near 13. That was the first time he hit, <laughs> uh, for a season. So you don't really see a ton of hits outside of like initial hits outside of like year five. Um, but yeah, they just have lesser time to be dense. You know, if you're, if you're six years in and you hit, you just have lesser opportunity to be dense than guys that hit at 21 or 22 years old. Okay. For me, that clears up like what your work is quite a bit. Yeah. We just created the audio book. Congratulations, Jordan. No. <laughs> <laughs> we just snuck that audio book recording in on you, buddy. We'll be uh, producing that for you next year. No. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> Sorry. So cool. So like, like I said, I mean, it, it just kind of gives us the background because there's a lot that goes into your work. You know, you got the book, you got the podcast. I feel, I feel like it's always fair that when the guest comes on, some people just jump straight into things. And I feel like it's important for the guest to kind of, you know, understand their work, where they're coming from, where they're, va- you know, where they're creating value at. So it's just important. That's why, you know, I felt you know, it was good to go over all that kind of stuff with you. Um, what we're going to do now is we're going to jump into some of the um, the normal segments that we do on the show. The first one is trust issues. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with trust issues, basically uh, we have, you know, players or situations or, um, you know, kind of multiple choice things here of, of things that are going on or players that are going on. And I'm going to, we're just going to see how much we trust the situation basically. So if you trust it a lot, you know, there's no trust issues. If you're, you know, concerned about it, you don't feel great about it. It's something you kind of want to back off of. And there's just trust issues with it. Um, so um, the first one we have here is uh, super athletic college underproducers drafted in the second round, becoming a wide receiver one. Uh, we're looking at guys like Terry McLaurin, Debo Samuel. Um, we'll let Jordan start. You know, do you have trust issues with guys like these or do you trust them generally speaking? Uh, so pedigree, NFL draft pedigree is such a huge deal in terms of looking at looking at wide receivers in particular. Like, so I think you have to be really, really selective on day two guys. Um, and you know, you'll you'll see about twenty five percent of them will hit, um, but you have to be really. You know, you don't want to be in on a lot of these guys typically, uh, and so. As a rule, I almost fade them until they hit, uh, just because just because the hit rates are so low. Once they once they hit, it's a little bit different in terms of how I treat them. Um, but yeah, guys like Terry McLaurin, I think you can sell. Uh, I think you can kind of sell him um, pretty. I think you could sell him high at this point right now. I don't. I don't love the the long term profile. Um, Debo Samuel similarly situated. I mean, he's uh, he would be a player that I would probably be willing to move on. I didn't love the profile coming in as a twenty three year old rookie. So, um, you know, I would probably be willing to to you know if you're getting top twenty four ADP return on that, I would be willing to move off of that right now. That's interesting. I I know the guys here are big fans, you know, as well as me of the, of both those guys, um, and Josh specifically uh, with Debo, right, Josh? Um, That's true. So how do That's you feel about what true. Jordan just said with with Debo? It hurts me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess I guess it goes to the conversation about how much year one NFL production matters. Yeah. So here's, if, if there was a, if I was going to sort of go the flip side of that, I would sort of argue against myself. Um, if you, if there is a wide receiver on day two, that has day two of the NFL drafts around two, around three that produces a wide receiver three finish. So between wide receiver 25 and wide receiver 36 in their rookie year, historically they have a hundred percent hit rate. 
of producing a top 24 season at some point later in their career. So guys like guys like Debo um, would check that box. Uh, Terry McLaurin checks that box. Uh, so does DK Metcalf. And so I think if you sort of were to take the opposite end of that, like, I think that's a pretty good, the sample size isn't huge, but I think that would sort of be the, um, you know, where I would look to say, okay, that's, that would be the positive range. But if you look at guys like round two guys who missed in their first season, only 32% of them go on to hit for a top 24 season. So. Um, and, well, do, and do you think, I, and do you, do you think it's all a talent thing or do you also think it's like teams give up on them easier, you know, stuff like that? Like how much do you think that plays into it? Um, I, I think I, it's hard to produce a top 24 season. Right. I, I think that's just, that's, that's probably the, the, the easiest answer to that just from a, just from a target perspective, it's hard to do. Uh, and when you get guys up in that, top range they tend to stay there because they're focal points of the offense right. so yeah. it's tough to crack into that um i just look at a guy like debo samuel and i get he's sort of involved in the running game and those and he has you know a little bit of two-way ability i just wonder if there's 120 targets in his future in a season and if there's not your your odds of getting to a top 24 you know a difference making fantasy season without 120 targets or 110 or 120 targets it's it's pretty it's it's rare to do that so i sort of look at these guys and just wonder i mean mclaurin there's there's virtually no chance that he goes into his second year without more competition right and i just like maybe the same isn't true for debo um but i just i think a guy like mclaurin's particularly susceptible to that Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, the ne- the next one we have here, Adam, I'm going to let you start with this one. Um, college mega producers, 90th percentile guys like Preston Williams, for example, um, without draft capital, having a uh, top 24 wide receiver season. Adam, do you trust or have trust issues with guys in that situation? Honestly, I mean, for me in in my process, I've, I've always kind of gravitated towards college production. Um to, to me, production is, is one of the things that I value probably the most, um, having produced at a college level. And then once you're in the NFL, having produced at an NFL level, um, just to flash back just to what we were just talking about for a minute. I think that for me is the, the thing that makes it really hard to deny a player like Terry McLaurin is coming out and from a fantasy perspective, having a top 25 fantasy season in his rookie year playing with basically scrubs at quarterback. So flashing to this question in regards to, you know, a college mega producer without draft capital, those, those are the kind of guys that I try and target in dynasty, especially in dynasty rookie drafts, because, you know, with those late rookie picks, these are the type of players that I think, especially um, when they have like a college profile that shows that they were heavily relied on in their offense to me, that more often indicates a quicker transition into the NFL or quicker potential transition to the NFL. So I like drafting rookies in that way because you more often, at least in my opinion, will know quicker if that player is going to be successful in the NFL. And if they're not, you can kind of cut bait. Right. That makes sense. Jordan, do you agree with that or are you in that same boat? Um, I, I think so. I think the reason for the fall is important. 
So if you get like, like Stefan Diggs was a, was one of these guys, right. Who was uh, an elite producer, did it from a young age and fell to day three because of uh, injuries. Really. He, he sort of ended his college career on a down note. It goes on, goes in round five and then hits. Um, but the, the hit rate on guys in, in from day three, 5%. Nice. So it's just super as, as a general rule, I will avoid day three wide receivers, um, until they hit. And then we can sort of, we can, you know, then it's a little bit of a different calculus cause you're looking at density then. Um, and so, but as a general rule, I avoid day three wide receivers just because the hit rate's really low. And honestly, like we we're not particularly good at identifying the right ones. Like the only time the market has ever gotten right, the, the best day three wide receiver in a class was uh, Mike Williams out of Syracuse a few years ago. He was the first day three wide receiver picked in that class uh, in rookie drafts. And that's the only time the market's ever gotten it right. So um, the, the it's hard to hit on them. And so I generally avoid them. And at that point in the draft, I think there's other ways to go typically and, and um, rookie drafts in particular. Gotcha. Josh, hey, same feeling. Well, like, so before I ask this, like it's okay to say, uh, by the book, but when, <laughs> when Preston Williams, when guys like that hit, do they hit in a less dense way? Yeah. So the, the, it's, it's tough to say that because the sample size is so small. That's, yeah. that's a question I've gotten a lot is like, well, day three guys, are they dense or not? Like, it's not that, uh, there's not a ton of examples of it happening. So, um, if you were to look at like, um, you know, if you're to look at guys down the line, um, so like you, there's like, there's a couple of outliers in terms of guys that are like multiple hits. Um, 83% of the round four guys have produced, uh, that have hit, have done it either once or twice. So you have one big outlier there. Um, the hits really for like round five, again, small numbers in terms of these guys, but, um, three or less. Um, and then there's a handful of guys from like round seven, um, that have hit like three, four or five times, but it's the, the numbers out there are super low. They're just really low in terms of sample size. Um, but they tend to, like, if I were to make a general statement, they tend to hit less than their day two counterparts. Okay. Is there ever a question that we can ask you that you'll say, get the book? That happens on podcasts a lot of times. Years. I was like, yeah, I really wish you should just buy the book. I don't really want to explain the story. <laughs> just no, I'll, I'll, uh, no, I'm not going to. I'll answer the question. Okay. All right. You, guys, no, you sure. have no problem getting me to talk. Just that's that's sure. one thing you'll never, as long as I'm not, I don't have to read, like I'll talk. It's all fine. right. <laughs> all right. We're trying. We're trying. All right. The next one we have here for trust issues, uh, running back or wide receiver uh, with top two round draft capital end college production above average athleticism loses year one injury later has a top 12 season at their position uh guys Nikhil harry guys like this um do we trust them or do we have trust issues jordan so i think uh, this is a great question and uh Shout out to the, Josh. the the round two um, cause I, cause the base rates, right. So for, for, if you are the same round and the same experience and you haven't hit, you've got the same base rate. So, uh, round three guys that, uh, sorry, year three guys, guys entering the third year of their career uh, from round two running backs. Uh, there's three of them, Ronald Jones, Darius Geis, Carrie Johnson. 
Um, I was as big of carry on Johnson fan as you would, he would have found around around the time when he came out of the draft. Uh, and, but you sort of look at them right now and their, their base rates, 28%. And so that sort of implies that, that the odds of them hitting, uh, it's, it's pretty low historically. If you were to say like, give me the, give me the flip side of that. Well, they were, you know, um, Geis and Carrion Johnson have both been injured. Right. So maybe we don't hold that all, all the way against them. And I sort of think, you know, the base rates I start from, I start from a specific spot. So I'll start and say, all right, 28%. Now let's move it. Right. I think, I think it's higher because they haven't proved that they've been bad. They just haven't had the opportunity because of injury. Right. Uh, and th- those are different value judgments you have to make. Uh, but I think the the three of them are really interesting in the market. Uh, the market on them implies basically the market likes them more than, than that, than that base rate. Um, Ronald Jones is the, is the least cost, but actually it's been the best in his career to date. So, uh, had the best season of, of those guys to date. So, um, I, I tend to be buyers on those guys, uh, just because I think the, you know, especially when the price is pretty good. Um, and I tend to trust like top pedigree pretty good. I think it's a little bit different at wide receiver. Um, you will see the, the, the erosion of their odds of, of hitting like the, it's, it's a slower, you know, you don't hold a non, uh, year one hit against someone quite as much at, at wide receiver, but that you'll see a dent in people's production at running back more so than you will at receiver. So um, my problem with Harry in the draft was the, was the rookie cost of him. Um, but I sort of, I still like him as a player. I just was, I, the, the cost of where he was going was just too high for me. That makes sense. I wonder if uh, Tom Brady's not thrown to him stock up or down. It'd be interesting. Everyone's, you know, saying Tommy ain't got it no more anyway. So It'll be interesting if he's not, you know, how, how that if that affects him in any way to people. Um, Adam, are those guys that uh, Jordan just mentioned, those running backs, are, are there any of those that you got that you were like looking to buy or are you staying away from all those guys? Uh, I mean, it was actually really interesting the way that he was that you were talking about it, Jordan, because for me, these are often the players that in Dynasty, I always feel like are way overvalued um, and ironically, it's it's caused me to miss on some pretty big players um like for instance i i was not in on dalvin cook rebounding after his injury i think that that was just a huge oversight but then there are so many players like sony michelle or you know darius geis who seem to be of that same mold and haven't hit yet and and don't really seem like they're going to um so so i kind of i don't know i have a hard time making the distinction amongst these groups like to identify what in their profile allows them to kind of overcome those injuries or if it's the type of injury that themselves that you know allows them to to rebound well yeah that's a that's a good point and i think when you what you'll see is like anytime there's uncertainty about a player there's potential value there so right delvin cook um and carry on and and guys, you know, they're depressed values. Although I, I, so I actually, what you're describing is what I did in my dynasty tiers, which is to sort of look at these things and it's to say, all right, here's what the historical hit rate on these types of guys is. And then I actually went ahead and I, cause I have all this data. I said, well, let's, let me see what the, what the market implied hit rate is. And so like uh, with the spread on these guys, I actually think they're 
they're historically overvalued, right? So um, they're all 28% hit rate guys. Um, Carry on Johnson and Darius guys are going in the same round and round six of drafts right now. That implies 59%. That's a 59% hit rate historically. So um, the market likes them a lot more than what their fundamental profiles would be. Um, Ronald Jones is interesting because he's at 31%. So he's right at about what you would expect him, um, his hit rate to be. Um, but the market likes both of these guys more, uh, and specifically carry on and guys likes him more than what historically players of their pedigree and experience have, have produced in terms of top 24 production. I know Josh is a big Harry fan too, right, Josh? Yeah, I like him, but you know what? I'm in a startup and I drafted Devontae Parker over Nikhil Harry. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. What do you think about that, Jordan? Parker over Harry. Man, Parker's got me so – I don't know how to think about Parker because he doesn't have a comp. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it's totally – it almost feels like he's one of these guys like um, – I think I think the most interesting part about him, honestly, is is how we should think about Adam Gase, because like you look at all of these guys that have left Adam Gase and, you know, Parker, Tannehill, Kenyon Drake, like they've all been better. Um, Mike Kosicki, like they've all like had revelations in their career once they left Gase. Um uh, you know, so I, I'm sort of in on the idea that that Parker could be a potential uh, you know, a good potential player going forward. And he actually, if you just look at his density and compared to where he's going in drafts, like he's actually probably a value given where he's going. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think like he's going seventh round right now. And if you sort of like, I, I don't hate that price. Like he's going right. He's going behind a guy like Marquise Brown who hasn't hit yet again, right next to Harry. Um, like Mike Williams is going right in there and I'd probably historically rather have Parker than, than Williams. So yeah, I actually, I think there's, there's, uh, it's an interesting, I hadn't thought about that until you just, you guys just brought that up, but yeah, it's an interesting, they're an interesting dichotomy in terms of their hit rates and those sorts of things. Gotcha. All right. The last uh, trust issues we have here is running back ones with fewer than 40 targets repeat as running back ones. Again, uh, guys like Josh Jacobs and Derrick Henry, uh, Jordan, you trust those kind of guys or you have trust issues for them? Uh, so I, I think that, um, in terms of any player, like the, the, it's so interesting to me that, that Jacobs, Jacobs was essentially the anti Leonard Fournette coming into this year where he was like, all right, we didn't know if he could be a workhorse, but we knew that he could catch. And then he comes out and he doesn't catch anything and is a workhorse. And we're like, okay, well he sort of answers the question that we didn't know, but like, where's the, you know, where's what we did know. Um, and on the flip side, Fournette like comes out and gets a hundred targets this year. And everyone had like, I, I was as big a Fournette fan as you would have found coming into the season. And I wouldn't have guessed anywhere near that number of targets, even on a most optimistic side. Um, and so I think there's a lot of room for, for Jacobs to grow in terms of, I think like if you were to say, what is he coming in the NFL? Like he is a, he is a, a pass catcher first would be what my thought would have been. Um, so I still think there's plenty of room for him to grow with that. But you look at guys, I mean, in terms of just profiles, like just take the name away from it for a second round one NFL running backs that hit at 20 that come into the NFL at 21 years old and hit in year one, like just that profile is it's so rare. It is such a rare profile. Um, and the density on those guys is just extraordinary. And so there's a big, there's a really big, um, 
you know, there's a really big impact that those types of players can have. So I'm, and I think he has room to grow. So I like him. Um, Henry, Henry, I'm sort of, he's, he's aging a little bit and he's got the concerns with the contracts and those sorts of things. Um, uh, You know, where does he end up? All of those things. I'm, I am not, I would say I'm probably more market neutral on him. Like he's going ahead of, like he's going ahead of Jacobs and Fournette. I wouldn't do either of those two things. So actually, I probably would say I'm a little bit lower on him than he is than he is right now. Like I would have Jacobs ahead of ahead of Henry. I yeah. just I just wanted to make Neil say Josh Jacobs and Derrick Henry, and that backfired so hard right now. <laughs> I'm a, get over. I'm I'm a I'm a Raiders fan, and obviously a big Josh Jacobs fan. So he was hoping that you were gonna you know go the other way with that. No, Josh Jacobs in terms of like profiles, like it's it's a gold standard. Of, thank you. Like, thank you. Oh, God. it's a gold standard profile. I have failed at this podcast tonight. <laughs> See, I think this is actually a really interesting one because the two examples to me are outliers of the actual like question because to me I do not trust running backs that are going to see under 40 targets to repeat as running back ones. I, especially in PPR leagues, I just, I don't think the production's there. However, like Jordan outlined, I think Josh Jacobs is going to see a boost in targets because his college profile reflects that he can catch passes. And I think Derrick Henry is this weird outlier that he can actually produce as an RB one, even without 40 targets. So those two examples to me, like, are odd in the sense that I think neither of them actually will fit into this realm this year. Derrick Henry will kind of be an outlier and Josh Jacobs, I expect to see over 40 targets, but in theory, this is actually something that I constantly look at for players to avoid are these running backs that are being drafted in the first two, three rounds of fantasy drafts or in dynasty guys that, you know, are are having high uh, dynasty value that aren't expected to see 40 plus targets. These are typically avoid players for me. Well, it's funny, like Derek Henry had a great year, a great year. I mean, led the league in rushing, uh, tied for rushing touchdowns and finished his running back five. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that say about how important receiving is to a running back's profile? And, you know, can, can a player do that twice? Can a player do that? I mean, you're essentially to get a top six finish off of him. You need him to lead the league in rushing and rushing touchdowns. That's sort of that. That's a dangerous bet to make. Whereas Jacobs, I think, and he finishes running back 21, missed some time at the end of the season. Um, But I think you could see him grow. Whereas at this point, like Henry, like almost every, almost everything would break against Henry finishing as a running back five. Like he's got so much negative equity in that. Whereas you could say, all right, I could see Josh Jacobs making a step up to finishing as a top. I could see him, you know, things could break right where he could finish as a top six running back, but there's so much downside. I think to Henry at that price. Yeah. I think, I think all of us would agree that I think at least Jacobs over Henry, maybe not. Um, But I'm assuming if you tried to swap him right now in, in most dynasty leagues, what do you think the outcome would be? If you tried to trade your Derrick Henry for someone's Josh Jacobs, what do you think the outcome would be most of the time, percentage-wise? I think Henry's the perceived higher value. Yeah, that's what I think, too. But I, I would do that. Yeah. Stri- I would do it straight up, but I think you can get more out of it. <laughs> so Likely can, yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting because I think that uh, it, it's, it's like Josh Jacobs, to me, has a higher chance of finishing as like the overall RB1 with – 
his pass catching ability or like a top six fantasy running back. But I think Derrick Henry has the greater chance to just finish inside the top 12. The issue with Henry is just his, his ADP and his perceived value and actually living up to that draft capital. It'll be interesting to watch how that plays out. I like it. I see a lot of people trying to trade Derrick Henry right now. So I, I, I think I think Josh Jacobs might be like the most logical player to break into that top tier running backs. If you, oh my god, that's gross. Love you saying this, man. Your back's against the wall. You have no choice at this point. No choice. It's funny because I actually I think you could make an argument for him being like as high as running back like five or six. Just keep going, guys. Uh, higher, and higher. That might that might sound like hot takey but if you just think about i mean the, the in terms of the the historical cops for him and i get like i get the argument that he wasn't a great round one pick like i sort of like he was maybe a quote bad uh round one running back but he was a round take. one running back i hate that take and he at 21 years old and he hits like you're getting in and i mean the difference you're getting two and a half three years on in his prime on guys like delvin cook and nick chubb and, um, you know, Derrick Henry, you're getting even more than that. Aaron Jones, you're getting almost four years. Um, you know, the difference on that, I mean, that's right in a running back's prime. And, yeah, and you're looking at, you have to look at these things going forward. And a lot of what dynasty rankings and what I've found in the marketplace is like, you know, 50% of, of dynasty ADP is just explained by last year's results. Uh, and, you have to sort of take that's a part of it, but you sort of have to project going forward and, and what, what is going to happen in the future. And if you just think about like the, the gap in age between Jacobs and some of the guys going in front of them in their prime, that's a, that's a lot of window to give up. Let's, let's move over to our pick one segment. Basically I'm going to list usually three options and we're all going to be able to only pick one of those options um, depending on the situation. So like, for instance, the first, uh, category group we have here is wide receivers with a low BMI. I can't stand seeing that already. Uh, slow running backs or a quarterback with one year of starts. Um, so and I, uh, just kind of examples, low low uh, BMI wide receiver, CD Lamb, uh, slow running back, Devin Singletary, or a quarterback with a one year of starts, Trubisky. Um, if you only pick one of these, how, how, how do you want to look at this, Josh? Like a startup dynasty or just? Like, like which one of the, oh, yeah. Yeah, like startup dynasty. Who who what profile is the best? Hmm. Is you asking me? Yeah, you can go first, Jordan. Yeah, I think the pedigree is really important. So if I were to, I mean, none of these are great profiles uh, in terms of, but it matters if the person's around. I mean, if CD Lamb's around one wide receiver, that's different than like Josh Reynolds being a day three pick. So like those things matter in terms of that. I think of, of all of them, like the, the only starting one year in college thing is uh, I think is probably the most dangerous. Um, And so, but I think like, I don't think that the slow running back, I mean, David Montgomery and Devin Singletary are both quote slow running backs. And I think they play the game remarkably different. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I think if I would have to pick one, I think I would pick that one. Um, but I think you have to be careful on sort of who you're picking within that tier and the cost and what you're paying. Hmm. Some variables there, Josh, where, where are you at with that? I think I would, if I had to take one, I think I would take the low BMI wide receiver. 
Like I, that feels like the closest thing to throw velocity on this list. <laughs> and then the one that really kind of scares me the most, I think, is one year of starts with a, with a quarterback. Uh, do you have any input on that, Adam? No, I think the slow running back thing is the one that's the farce of the group, if you will, because I honestly think that the wave in which that speed is calculated, it's straight line speed. And let's be honest, how often as a running back are you really hitting straight line speed? I mean, ultimately, you, you have to be more agile, I think. And, and I think that there's so much uh, uh, so many other factors that go into being a successful running back than something just like straight line speed. So I think out of the three, that's probably the one that I'd value the least. Gotcha. All right, let's move on to the next one. Then the next group in here, we got college production, a uh, guy like Nikhil Harry again. Um, year one NFL production, a guy like DJ Chark, for example, and then a guy with draft capital like Mike Williams. Uh, if you had to pick one out of this group, who are you picking, Jordan? Draft capital. Draft capital. Uh, especially wide receiver. Draft capital is a huge deal. So, um, you know, all, all things being equal, give me give me the guy with the high draft capital. I know that makes Josh sick as well um, because he hates Mike Williams. Well, but like Nikhil Harry also has draft capital. <laughs> yeah, and Mike Williams is the grossest example of draft capital. <laughs> but I, I cannot hate it because Nikhil Harry's there too. Yeah, it's true. I don't know, man. This is a tough one. I yeah. Yeah, out, of, out of that group, I would have to take Chark first. Like, if you were just picking out of those players, I would pick Chark too, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of a given, but yeah. just kind of for the examples, I, I still value NFL production over everything else. Um, and I think that one year is the tough part because it's not really much of a sample size. And there's been plenty of rookies that have flashed and never held up to that. Um, but to me, being able to show you can do it at an NFL level is the most valuable thing. And I'd be curious to know, but I feel like the hit rate on you know production in your first year going into year two is probably well, actually i'm curious do, jordan do you have any uh numbers on that as far as the correlation from year one production to year two production versus draft capital to year one production um well like Sh- shark hit in year two and i think he was a pretty tepid year one guy um I don't. So I yeah, guess Shark's the, not a good example for that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. The I guess the best thing I would say is like the kind of what I said earlier with the guys that got into the uh, wide receiver three tier. So Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, and um, uh, Terry McLaurin, all as wide receiver threes. Like those guys hit uh, pretty. Uh, those guys hit from day two hit, have a hundred percent hit rate that get into as wide receiver threes in year one. So I think that's, that's a good indicator. Um, but I, I would say, I think as a cautionary note, I think what you define as being, you know, having a good season or, or early production, that's probably uh, just ge- generally speaking in terms of when people uh, use that as a sort of a justification, I think it's probably used too broadly. So I think that what people value is saying, oh, year one production, like wide receiver 40 finish isn't really that good of production in terms of going forward is what I would say. So I'm, I think by and large, I would play it, especially at wide receiver, I'd play it tighter to the vest than I would trying to make exceptions out of players. Gotcha. All right. That's cool. That makes sense. Um, if you were doing a rebuild or rebuilding a team, 
uh, pick one, a young wide receiver, young running back, or young quarterback? Where would your focus be if you had to pick one? Young running back. I think like traditional, the traditional approach is the young wide receiver thing, right? And I think that it should just be players who have potential to gain the most ADP. And people should be more open to the young running back or quarterback. So wait, so if you were rebuilding, you would go which one? Which way would you focus? I, I kind of have like all three in there. I, I think all three have value. I'm not sure which one. I feel like young wide receivers is still probably the best group, but I don't know. Running backs hit really, you know, I feel like this is something Jordan should talk about. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I actually love that Jordan just kind of said young running backs and stop because uh, it, it's actually really interesting. So when I first started really getting into Dynasty, um, it was probably about five years ago now. And a lot of the what I considered best minds in Dynasty at that time were the ones that I was listening to the most were really, really heavy on building with wide receivers because their career longevity is greater than what running backs are. The counterpoint to that is that in seasonal, you want to value these workhorse running backs because their ceilings are just so much higher than workhorse wide receivers. Personally, I found way more success building around these young running backs. So I think it's interesting how quickly Jordan answered because to me, I think this is kind of a weird misconception that even I, as a dynasty player, initially had and have transitioned and since transitioning have felt way better about the direction of those teams. And, and I, I do think that it, it's more valuable to build amongst those really talented young running backs, especially because they give you um, typically quicker return on your investment. And then also, if you can get out on those players at the right time, you can still sell them at extremely high value. Yeah, can I just touch on that? I I should have probably expounded more than I did. Um, <laughs> you should just say young running backs by the book. <laughs> no, I I uh, essentially all of what you said I agree with. Um, and I think right now, at the time, like when you were starting to play Dynasty, and the those minds were saying that, like they were probably right, because at that time the the young wide receivers were really dominant, right? I mean, I'm assuming you're talking a few years sure. ago. Yeah, and yeah. At, and at that point, the the running backs were, you know, aging and and not, you know, it, now we've gotten the 2017, 2018 running back class. Now we're getting 2020. Like we're in a golden age of running backs. At that time, we weren't. We were in a golden age of receivers. So that that that's part of it. I think the other thing too, if there's one mistake that is, I think the most commonly made mistake in dynasty fantasy football, it is that people value wide receivers. Uh, outside the top, well, I'll call it the top five rounds of a startup draft in terms of a start one draft. And it might be, you know, top 75, 80 picks outside of that in a super flex draft. Uh, but outside of that range, wide receivers do not hold their value more than running backs do. That is a myth. Um, that is just simply not true. And what you'll see is not only do they not hold their value, but running backs are more productive. And more productive in a, you'll get more starts out of them. You're more likely to get top 24 production out of them. You're more likely to, to get a, a one warp uh, outcome out of them. And you're more likely to even get spot starts out of them uh, than you will a wide receiver. And at the same time, wide receivers aren't holding their value. So you're sort of anytime 
And, and, you know, you asked this earlier about what type of drafter I am. I usually draft wide receivers early because anytime you, anytime you take a running back, or sorry, anytime you take a wide receiver over a running back outside the top, call it 75 picks in the, in a startup draft, you are taking a beating historically in terms of, in terms of odds. Um, you're just hemorrhaging value every time you do it. Um, and so when you see teams that get, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 wide receivers. Every time you make that wide receiver decision over a running back, you're losing value. And I found actually, I did this in the book. Every time you take a wide receiver over a running back, like um, just, just on average, you lose 0.17 wins over the first three years of, of the dynasty uh, team. So, and that moves, it moves both your ceiling and your floor and your average. So it moves them every time you take a wide receiver, you know, you, 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 can can take a running back over receiver you bump up 0.17 wins over the first three years and that adds up and it and it gives you a lot more and the running backs give you a lot more upside so you get to see a lot more high-end outcomes out of them than you would at, at wide receiver so um that's sort of why i answered that question and you can get like you can get like i mean just look at what mccaffrey did Right. And, uh, and, and look at, I mean, the, the, the big hits on these running backs can be massive and they can be, I mean, McCaffrey was over two and a half wins over replacement last year. Um, and you don't need that, but like, just look at James Conner a couple years ago. Like he was a win and a half over replacement when, before he got hurt, when Le'Veon Bell was out and that was like 10 weeks. I mean, just the, 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 the value of that is just massive. And that's a story that's much more common to happen at running back than it is at wide receiver. Gotcha. You know, I, I kind of want to stay on that topic for a minute because dating back to, you know, five, ten years ago, e- even just three years ago, it seemed like everyone's focus as far as draft strategies and like the, the largest draft strategy that was talked about was zero running back. And that actually came kind of from the dynasty world first and then into the redraft world. But in regards to what you're speaking to, it, it sounds very much in line with a lot of the tenets of zero running back and anti-fragility in the sense that you're speaking to wide receivers um, having really rough hit rates outside of those first few rounds, which would indicate wanting to you know, draft those guys more often early, whereas running backs have a much higher mm-hmm. hit rate all the way through the draft which would indicate that you know you can just load up on them from a volume perspective and, and draft you know them in bulk, which is really a lot of the same tenants that that zero running back was really pushing. Do you, do you feel like those ideas kind mm-hmm. of align, mm-hmm. or am I off base there? No, I I the I think the unfortunate I think zero running backs right. Um, I think the unfortunate part about zero running back is it gives the connotation that running backs aren't valuable. Um, I, I just, I think that when Sean Siegel wrote that article, uh, he, it was zero running back early. Um, and the key part I think of the strategy is it's, a, it's all an efficiency strategy, right? Because if you take like, listen, I'm going to hammer four or five wide receivers when they're most valuable. And then I'm not going to take them when they're not valuable. And I'm going to take running backs when they are valuable. I think the key to executing it uh, and giving yourself a high end outcome, the, the possibility of a high end outcome is that you have to take it all the way through. 
So you have to go, you have to go wide receiver early and you have to go running back in volume late. And when I'm talking like running back volume, like in a 20 team league, I want to roster at least two to one running backs to wide receivers. Um, and when you get even, when you get deeper rosters, I mean, you can go, you can go three X, four X. Um, I, I did a startup draft last year and it didn't turn out well. Cause everything, I mean, everything that, that happened went bad, but, um, the strategy implementation implementation that I did after I wrote the analytics of dynasty was, um, yeah, I'm going to see how many, like, see how far I can push the envelope. And I rostered 19 running backs to five wide receivers. Um, and that wasn't only, I only needed to start one wide receiver. Um, and I just, I was hemorrhaged with injuries across the board. It just, it was, it was a comedic, it was a comedic, it was a comic tragedy. Um, but the, I think the process was right in terms of anytime you met, anytime you can get the opportunity to take more running backs, you should do it. And the way you do that is by drafting wide receivers early. Cause then you don't have to draft wide receivers late. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it also explains your tweet with the sheep. On Twitter, for those who follow Jordan, yes, <laughs> to load up on wire series because they retain value better than running backs. The sheep. No, okay, yeah, that, that was a good conversation. That was a good one to put on there. So, it's true, but that the flip side of that though too is it's true early in a draft, right? So wide receivers do retain their value in the top five rounds of a draft better than running backs do. Gotcha. Um, but it's not true after that. Perfect. All right, cool. All right, let's move on. We're going to wrap this show up soon. Uh, we're going to go to foul or no foul. I have just three for today. Foul or no foul is basically I'm going to throw statements at you guys. If you agree with the statement, then there's no foul. If you disagree with it, you call foul. Um, and we'll let Jordan start um, with the first one. Uh, the first statement we have here is NFL combine results have the ability to make or break a player's outlook in fantasy. Foul or no foul? Um. They have the ability to make or break a player's perception, yeah, their perception. value. Yeah, um, I think that's I think that's true. So no foul, right? No foul. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just I yeah. I think I think it has the ability. Whether it should or not is a different story. Do you think it should? Um, I, I think there's certain things that it should. Um, you know, I, does does a guy running really fast in a straight line matter as much as as the market thinks it does? I I don't think so. Um, but this year I'm looking for more like, you know, why are guys like, um, you know, Devin Singletary able to stand out? What, what was it in his profile that despite being slow, uh, made him so good, you know? And so I, I think we sort of overreact to the combine generally. Once you pay pass like a minimum baseline test, I think, I think that most of these guys are good enough to play. Um, so generally speaking, I think the the combine results are overstated. Gotcha. Josh, Adam, you guys agree on that? Or do you think that there are certain NFL combine results that should uh, be a big deal for a player? Well, Neil, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of throw velocity. I'll <laughs> <laughs> start that. Uh, uh, yeah. No, I think I, I'm right in line with Jordan on this. Uh, it, it's definitely a no foul in the sense that I think it definitely causes public perception to go a certain direction. Um, but as far as how it really impacts how <laughs> players are going to perform in the NFL, I think the only way it really has an impact is based upon draft capital. Um, because ultimately, those combine metrics, whether we like it or not, have an impact over whether or not teams are going to draft players um and that impacts draft capital and and ultimately i think draft capital is probably the greater thing to focus on whereas all the individual metrics are just kind of a 
you know, a guide to get to that. Right. Yeah, BMI is the new throw velocity, by the way. Uh, Josh, anything? Well, yeah, just the the combine creates draft capital for some of these guys. So it impacts their career. You know, I, I would like to think that production was more important, but it, it so, probably so like, is. For you personally, is there any number that you're going to see pop up on a player right now in the combine? You're going to go, I'm done with him done with him like i'm just gonna drop him all the way down like there's no way i'm drafting this dude yeah i a slow a slow running back elijah holyfield i think i think you can be slow enough that i'm done (laughs) all right that's all i wanted to hear just just wanted to hear your opinion on it um the next one uh juju will be a top 10 wide receiver in 2020 foul or no foul jordan i'm buying that no foul no foul nice Getting bold over here. Any any particular reason why you're buying that? Uh, any any uh, one reason I, that stands out or? Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, he was a he had a down year last year, um, but he is. I mean, he was good from 18 years old at USC, and he has a down year when his Hall of Fame quarterback got hurt. Like, name me a wide receiver that isn't going to have a down year, a- a- and he got hurt. Like everything sort of went bad for them last year. I'm sort of washing that out. I'm I'm buying Juju to have a pretty big bounce back. Adam, Josh, are you are you guys on the same boat? Or do you know how I feel about this situation? Two words: Mason Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't like the last season doesn't count. Ah, you guys yeah, are I, I, I definitely. I, I think he. I think top ten is definitely in the range of outcomes. Josh, they're I right. They're right off the deck. I'm an Josh. Oklahoma State fan, and I knew Mason Rudolph was bad at football. <laughs> I knew it the whole time. I'm gonna go the opposite of you guys. I don't believe it. I'm not letting you guys just write all of this off on Mason Rudolph. I'll not allow it. He won't be top ten again. Not part show. of it was Duck Hodges too, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you guys are making all the excuses. That's fine. One day you guys will be like, it's also Juju's just not top 10 wide receiver, but that's all right. Um, speaking of the Steelers wide receiver, Juju, who fell off a little bit because the real good wide receiver on the team left, which was Antonio Brown. Um, uh, Antonio Brown's been trying to right his wrongs out here, guys. He's trying to make up with his baby mother, wife. I'm not really sure what she is. He's out here wearing Raiders hats, trying to get second chances. So it's the statement is it's 100% fact that Antonio Brown will be a team's wide receiver one come week one of the 2020 season. Foul or no foul, Jordan? Oh, foul. I, I think I think it's uh, – he's got a lot of making up to do. <laughs> um, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on him starting uh, week one someplace. Okay. So would you, would you write up the idea of him playing next year or just not week one? Um. I wouldn't write off the idea of him playing. I mean, I, do I think there's a reasonable shot that he plays? Yes. Would I say it's a hundred percent? No. Okay. Um, I, I think there's a, like, I still own him. I roster him and I think a spot or two. Um, and I'm not, it's not like I'm cutting him. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I think the, it's all well and good to sort of be behaving for a couple of days, but <laughs> he hasn't shown a track record to keep his head on straight for more than like, you know, a week at a time. So let's, you know, maybe we'll talk next time you guys record and see what <laughs> histrionics he's got going on then. All right. Jordan's calling foul. Adam or Josh, either one of you <laughs> calling no foul. Any of you believers in the second chance for AB? No, this is a foul. I think AB is going to turn into what like Chad Johnson, Mr. Ocho Cinco has been where and TO 
where it's just like every year they're going to act like they've got a chance to come back in the league, but it's just never going to happen. And I think for AB's sake, I hope I, I hope he doesn't come back. He doesn't seem right. I don't think that guy needs to take any more hits to the head. I think he needs some people around him to support him in making some lifestyle changes. Hopefully he's doing those things, but I don't I don't think football's it. I think he needs to, you know, be able to move on with his life and take it in a different direction. And ultimately I, I just I don't see it happening. I, I'd be shocked, but you know, it's a money league and the Patriots had him on their roster just last year, so I won't be I won't be shocked if he ends up somewhere. Listen, if for no other reason and he gave him to stop rapping, I'm for it. Uh, I'm 100% on board of that. And also, there is one wide receiver that keeps pump faking to come back in the league, and we all kind of want him to do it, is Des Bryant, right? I mean, everyone is pulling for him, right? I am definitely pulling for Des yeah, Bryant. On, At this point, cool? you have to, right? Cool. Like, it's another one, man. These, these, he hasn't uh, given up. Diva wide receivers, yo. They just like they like playing with your emotions. <laughs> I think he can do it. Come on. Somebody give him a chance. Someone give him a chance. I think if Antonio – behaves until preseason somebody will sign him i think so too i'm with you i'm no foul on this one i think he's back baby all right listen we're gonna close out the show i think we covered a lot of ground here today this was a uh audio book brought to you by jordan mcnamara now again uh <laughs> <laughs> well while we close out the show though uh jordan uh, you weren't you weren't told this ahead of time so you can go last if you have anything but we do this little thing called show and tell uh, where we basically bring any product podcast music philosophy advice book your book for instance anything you want to just share with the uh, listeners so uh, for instance i can go first um, i like to give out uh podcasts a lot of times specifically uh what i call murder podcasts true crime podcasts um there's one i'm listening to called down the hill the delphi murders uh which is a really good one it's a little different than a lot of the other ones because it's like kind of current like there's children spoiler that were murdered and they had like uh, Snapchat and iPhones and stuff. So it's kind of more current than a lot of the other true crime podcasts, which are like usually like 20 years ago and stuff sometimes. Um, so it's a really good one, really good, really well produced, all that kind of stuff. So check it out if anyone's into the true crime podcast. Adam, do you have anything today? Uh, you know, actually, I'm going to throw out something you recommended to me. That's a good, that always I've a good decision. Into a ton. It's always a I good mean, decision. it was a great recommendation. Uh, in line with a podcast that I recommended a long time ago uh, called Two Bears, One Cave, uh, which is a comedy podcast with Burt Kreischer and Tom Segura. This is one that Neil just recommended to me that just started the other day called Bad Friends. Uh, it's with comedian Andrew Santino and uh, Bobby Lee. And they're so damn funny. They they play off of each other so well. And uh, it it's so rare that I listen to a podcast that like literally causes me to laugh out loud. And man, that, that podcast does it. It is, it's a dangerous one to listen to while driving. I'll say that much, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's really funny. It's important to note that I found that cause I was thinking about you and Josh and I was like, they're bad friends, man. And then <laughs> I just kind of fell across it, you know, it's like the way it worked out, but it is a hilarious yeah. podcast. And there's a few podcasts like that. They, they do. I think they do it like the best of a lot of the people that are trying to do that exact thing. Um, but yeah, it's a good podcast. Uh, Josh, do you have anything today? You know what? Uh, I think, I think this, is just something that needs to be said. And I think people like, I want to see more of this around. And that one thing is like, the world is getting better. I, I'm sorry. I know that's really corny, but like the world is a better place than it used to be. And I feel like if more people just 
took that first step, we could probably make some progress around here. <laughs> Sorry, I know that was kind of very soapboxy, but no, nah, you've been watching. You've been watching political town halls and debates. I understand, man. It's, it's fair. It's a fair thought. Somebody man. sent me. A, oh, it was um, generally aware. Josh Bigby sent me a TED talk on this, and it is like beyond dispute that the world is getting better. <laughs> it is. We like to highlight the negatives, but we we really do. There's no better time than now. It's just the way it is. Just the facts. It's just yeah. the facts. All right, Jordan, you see how we roll here, man. Wait, wait, wait. Did you just slip in some Tupac lyrics? No. Who, me? (laughs) Are you sure? Are you sure those weren't Change's lyrics? If I did, it was unintentional. You know, I've been trying to get AB music out of my head, so I may have listened to some Tupac recently. Um, But, yeah, Jordan, you see how we're sharing stuff here, man. If you have anything you want to share as far as, like I said, it could be anything, advice, an item, a product, whatever you want, music. If you don't have nothing, it's cool because we didn't really prepare you for this. No, that's all right. Uh, I would say that uh, that if there's a podcast you're interested in listening to uh, for like a sports thing, and it's not just um, it's not just football, but it's just uh, general sports. It's it's fantastic called Wharton Moneyball. Uh, it's by uh, four professors at the Wharton School. They just talk. Uh, it's every they release it every Wednesday, uh, and it's fantastic. They have really good guests and that and um, and some really interesting topics. And I've employed some of their or deployed some of of their concepts um, from other sports into some of my dynasty work. So um, it's called Wharton Moneyball. I think it's fantastic. Nice. Can to check it out? Like what kind of topics are you talking about? Like, uh, you know, they look at, they, they look at all types of sports. So it's like two hours of sports content. They'll look at all different types of um, uh, all sports. So they do a big thing on football every week in in the football season, but basketball. Um, and I think like basketball, I, basketball strategy and analytics and roster building, uh, I think it's super applicable to dynasty, particularly because of roster size similarities. Um, but yeah, I think like they, they do stuff like that and golf and some of the technology stuff they talk about. It's, it's really interesting. And just some of the concepts that they, that they talk about, I think there's plenty of value there for, for, um, implementation to your, your, um, dynasty process. Gotcha. Sounds good. All right. So there you go, folks, three podcast recommendations and Josh's patriotic, uh, I mean, that was not patriotic. I don't know it what was, that was. The world uh, is getting better. <laughs> the world is getting better. He wanted you guys to leave on a high note. Um, Jordan, let the listeners know where they can find you on social media, plug your book again, the podcast, all that good stuff. So just on that note about the world getting better, the other night I, I tweeted out that um, after watching Syracuse basketball uh, not being very good and then flipping on the Democratic debate and being equally demoralized, I was just going to record a <laughs> podcast. Well, the, the Syracuse newspaper picked it up and put it in, the, in their online version of their paper. No way. <laughs> That's hilarious. So it was pretty. Uh, it was it was my cynicism actually came out and I had a couple people laughing at me that that read it. So, um, but yeah, you can uh, all the content. You know, a lot of stuff we talked about. I, and honestly, it's funny when I write these. When I write when I wrote the Analytics Dynasty, the 2020 edition, I I didn't know that. Like, you know, I just wrote it and said, here are the general trends. But this year has been really interesting in terms of like the 
the guys that hit for wide receiver three finishes, like there's multiple of them. And then, you know, a lot of the stuff that I wrote about, I wrote it in advance and now it's like really applicable uh, in terms of that. And, you know, there's still a lot of value and a lot of avoid players in the dynasty marketplace right now that I watch. So you can find, you can find a lot of those strategy points. Um, you can find it all in the book analytics of dynasty.com slash shop. And like I said, I have the analytics of dynasty podcast. Um, and then I go even deeper and sort of more specific, more topical, and the, um, on my Patreon side, you can get that for as little as $4 a month, but I have a group me, um, which is great in terms of owners and we're doing startup drafts and, uh, and, and trades and, and rookie draft planning and all that stuff. And, and, um, you, that's part of the, uh, Patreon, um, platform as well. So you can find all that at patreon.com slash analytics at dynasty and, um, and check out the podcast, the analytics of dynasty podcast. Yeah. And next year you guys will be find audiobooks there. Um, he's working on that. Um, and definitely learn how to read first. <laughs> <laughs> Check all that out. Maybe you should just take the session with the editor and record it and then just let that ride as like the blooper reel or something. I don't know. It'd be, it'd be humiliating. You know, I was watching these. It was funny because right around the time that it happened, you were watching like all these um, senators and, you know, house people and stuff on TV, like reading from prepared scripts. And I was like, that's the most horrifying thing I could ever imagine <laughs> doing. It's like reading that long. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, that's that that will no way near be in my future. All right, perfect. Well, you can find Adam also on Twitter at the other FF guy. Uh, he's usually sharing like 21 pilots tour dates and stuff like that. Uh, you can find Josh. Did, did you hear? Did you hear he just had a baby? <laughs> this guy. He's like, he's like the. Uh, it's true the, though. He's got the. It's true. Yeah. He's like some Tyler sort of Joseph, spokesman. Lead singer, 21 pilots just had a baby. It's exciting this, news. This you should care. This guy's unbelievable. Uh, you can also find Josh at JC Crocker. And you can find his written content at playerprofiler.com. Have you done anything on there lately, Josh? I've been so horrible. This guy, lately. This guy's in a drought. <laughs> Jordan's out here banging out content, and you're just nothing. Nothing at all. Jordan, did you give your Twitter out? Uh, at McNamara Dynasty. Bam, McNamara Dynasty. Perfect. And you can find me at Clock Dodgers. Just how it sounds. Just like the podcast says, all that good stuff. As always, we appreciate the listeners more than we can put into words. We appreciate Jordan for taking his time out to join us today. Uh, for listeners, if you guys can leave a review, share the podcast with a friend, any of that kind of stuff, we appreciate it more than, like I said, more than you can imagine. Other than that, that's it for us today. As always, be kind, be great, keep dodging. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.